Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's April 27, 2020. Welcome to The Quadcast. Let's dive in. First up, quality, not quantity. The Canadian Breast Hypofractionation Trial demonstrated hypofractionated whole breast radiation, 42.56 gray and 16 fractions without a boost, achieves non-inferior local control, toxicity, and cosmesis as compared to conventional fractionation to 50 gray. The trial included an acute toxicity and quality of life substudy. This was much smaller than the overall trial, with only 161 participants out of the initial 1,234 enrollees. Hypofractionated whole breast irradiation reduced both the peak rate and duration of acute grade 2 to 3 skin toxicity. For hypofractionated whole breast, skin toxicity peaked at 12% in week 4 and dropped to 0% in week 8. That's compared to 38% at week 6, dropping to 12% at week 8 with conventional fractionation. The sub-study also assessed overall quality of life, skin quality, breast effects, and attractiveness. Quality of life trajectory followed a similar pattern to skin toxicity with a fall at 2-4 to four weeks for hypofractionated whole breast and subsequent rise at 6-8 to eight weeks compared to conventional fractionations fall at 4-6 to six weeks and a rise at 8 weeks. As one would imagine, the differences in duration of toxicity and quality of life changes resulted in a smaller drop and faster recovery in multiple quality of life domains, with hypofractionated whole breast as compared to conventional fractionation. The bottom line is, in case you needed more evidence, hypofractionated whole breast irradiation results in less acute toxicity and improved quality of life in the Canadian hypofractionation whole breast trial. Thanks to Arsenault et al. Red Journal 2020. Up next, rematch. Immune checkpoint inhibitors have proven to be game changers in several malignancies, but at the same time, they have changed the face of therapeutic toxicity. Fortunately, the WHO has been collecting drug safety reports for over half a century. So here's a retrospective look at the immune checkpoint inhibition-related adverse events spanning 1967 to 2019. The primary question was the rate of immune checkpoint inhibitor adverse event recurrences with rechallenging of said immune checkpoint inhibitor. Now, finding the ICIAEs wasn't hard. There were over 24,000 cases, among which just over 6,000, or 25%, were associated with an immune checkpoint inhibitor rechallenge. Importantly, this only provides data on cases with adverse events so this can't inform the rate of adverse events overall among all rechallenges. But among the rechallenged, 
immune checkpoint inhibitor adverse events with sufficient clinical information, only 29% were the same adverse event that caused discontinuation of the immune checkpoint inhibitor in the first place. Hepatitis, an odds ratio of 3.4, pneumonitis, odds ratio 2.3, and colitis, odds ratio 1.8, were most likely to occur with a rechallenge, while adrenal events were much less likely. The bottom line is, it seems that recurrence of an immune checkpoint inhibitor-related adverse event upon rechallenge isn't inevitable or even all that likely. Thanks to Dolladil et al., JAMA, 2020. Up next, deuces. The catch-22 for radiation treatment of plasma cytoma is giving a high enough dose for durability, but not so high to affect bone marrow reserves that could have a negative downstream impact on systemic therapy options. Here is a retrospective look as published in Hematologica 2020 by Elhamali et al. that looked at the success rate of palliation with lower dose and smaller fields among 772 patients to over 1,500 sites treated at MD Anderson Cancer Center over the past two decades. Nearly 40% of all treated sites were in the spine. The most common fractionation was 2 gray times 10 fractions, with only 3% receiving greater than 2.5 gray per fraction. At a medium follow-up of greater than 5 years, most enjoyed long survival times with less than 3% ever requiring re-irradiation. Among 82 spine lesions with both pre- and post-treatment MRI and or PET, the only significant predictors of local failure were Bilski's score of 3, which had a hazard ratio of 7, and paraspinal axial thickness as a continuous variable. The bottom line is, 20 gray given in 2 to 2.5 gray daily fractions provides durable pain relief for uncomplicated plasma cytomas, while minimizing marrow fibrosis and risk of re-irradiation toxicity. Up next, steadfast. Remember, brachytherapy for higher risk cancers is not an elective procedure. Here, we have data-informed recommendations from U.S. experts on how to prioritize and time brachytherapy treatments during the COVID-19 pandemic, as published in Brachytherapy 2020 by Williams et al. The first important question is whether a patient requires treatment immediately. For early-stage favorable breast, uterine, and prostate cancers, as discussed previously in respective site-specific guidelines, delaying treatment start with endocrine therapies for three to six months is likely the best route. For other gynecologic and prostate cancers, timely treatment remains paramount. Fortunately, there are other strategies for risk mitigation. And that includes, of course, shorter fractionation schemes, as summarized in Table 1 of the paper. With no more than two to three treatments being required in any given scenario, next, you should consider eliminating, or at the very least consolidating, any OR time, 
This can be achieved with alternative analgesia to avoid intubations, such as neuroaxial or local analgesia, pedendal nerve blocks, moderate sedation, just to name a few. Furthermore, staff should be kept at a bare minimum, with anesthesia teams only in the room during critical components of their care. The bottom line is, while every attempt, including referral to another facility if necessary, should be made to avoid delay in brachytherapy for high-risk GYN and prostate cancers, there are other strategies to employ to minimize exposure risk while maintaining good oncologic outcomes. Up next, it takes two. Unfortunately, nivolumab hasn't proven to do much for recurrent or refractory ovarian cancer. This NRG Phase II trial, as published in JCO 2020 by Zamarin et al., aimed to assess whether that classic combination of nivolumab and ipilimumab could do the trick. 100 women with epithelial ovarian cancer failing at least one prior line of systemic therapy were randomized to nevo monotherapy versus ipinevo times 4 followed by maintenance nevo. The primary endpoint of objective response rate at 6 months was improved from 12 to 31% with combination therapy. What's more, median progression-free survival was doubled, albeit that was an easy target as it only improved from 2 to 4 months. Importantly, this was all regardless of pdl one expression levels. The bottom line is, further manipulation of immune responses to ovarian cancer are probably worth pursuing. Up next, a mainstream take. As it turns out, radiation oncologists don't necessarily agree with health economists on what comprises fair financial incentives in the new radiation oncology alternative payment model. These counterpoints published in JAMA 2020 by Trevor Royce include, among others, that moving straight to mandatory participation won't allow for an evidence-based assessment of its impact and that payments without consideration of technology will certainly stifle innovation. Up next, flashpoints. The latest review, as published in the Red Journal 2020 by Hendry on flash radiation therapy, further supports the hypoxia hype as the linchpin of its radiobiological MO for widening radiation's therapeutic index by two to three-fold. Additional salient points include the fact that hypoxic tumors are notoriously radioresistant, so we've yet to explain why tumors remain sensitive to flash, and in fact, there are no studies reporting long-term tumor control after flash in animal models. Up next, odds are good, but only if you aren't hospitalized for COVID-19. Among over 2,600 patients discharged or deceased following admission for COVID-19, Within New York City's Northwell Hospital System, 
21% died and 12% were intubated, 88% of whom subsequently died, as published in JAMA 2020 by Richardson et al. Up next, patient zero. It turns out patient zero is far less important than R0. R0 is the epidemiological variable for the number of new cases born from each infected individual in a pandemic. And while initial data from Wuhan suggested that the SARS-CoV-2 had an R0 of 2 to 3, meaning that each individual that was infected would pass it on to 2 to 3 additional people, more recent data provides the downright frightening estimate that SARS-CoV-2 R0 might actually be closer to 6. CDC 2020. Finally, frugality. It's time to apply it to your time. Check out this editorial in the Harvard Business Review 2020 by Glavesky that does a painfully excellent job at highlighting how many, if not most, of our daily tasks are a colossal waste of our time. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.